0: This podcast may contain some sensitive and graphic content. Listener discretion is advised. It's 10 o'clock p.m. Do you know where your children are? It's 10
1: p.m.
2: Today, in NamUs, there are 3,876 children listed as missing, and there are 2,674 children whose bodies are unidentified.
1: There's no point in keeping score. Some got it bad. Some got it worse. There's no justice in this world. Do you know where the children are? Where did they go? Where
2: are they? Today we're talking about children who they were out uh, with their families in different settings and a couple of them vanished. They actually vanished. And, um, so Alfred's case is interesting because he was last seen in Rocky mountain national park in Colorado on July 2nd, 1938. He had gone on a fishing trip with his parents and 10 older siblings for the 4th of July weekend. So they were, his family along with Alfred were on a trail near fall river and he fell behind the rest of the group and he vanished. Um, His family searched for him before contacting the park rangers. The authorities originally believed Alfred had fallen into the river. They dammed it and dragged it for six miles, but didn't find any sign of him. Bloodhounds tracked Alfred's scent 500 feet uphill before they reached a fork in the path and lost the trail. Then a couple hiking in another part of the park, which is six miles away, And 2,500 to 3,000 feet higher in elevation than the spot Alfred had disappeared from, they reported hearing a cry and then seeing a small boy resembling Alfred on the high ridge in a treacherous area called the Devil's Nest near the top of Mount Chaplin. By the time investigators arrived there a day later, the boy was gone. An extensive 10-day search involving 150 volunteers turned up no indication of the child's whereabouts. And so because his case is so old, due to the passage of time, uh, since Alfred's disappearance, which again was on July 2nd, 1938, his case is no longer being investigated and he has never been found. Um, so he is truly the child that vanished.
0: right. And you've said before that you don't think like a lot of kids vanish. I don't
2: think any would vanish. I actually feel like he is somewhere, and uh, he just hasn't been found or he's been found
0: he somewhere on the mountain.
2: Well, you know what I was thinking? I was actually thinking that um, because he was seen so far up on a ridge, like, what if he fell?
0: Well, okay. It's interesting that you say that because I found a little clip from 1938 in the Greeley Daily Tribune. And it's, there's not much to this, but what it's, it's, you know, one of those like police blotter type things. And it just says Denver hiker may have seen missing child. And it's from July 8th, but it says national park officials were investigating today a Denver man's story of seeing a little child resembling a missing four-year-old high on a mountainside west of here. David Caulfield, the park superintendent, said that he would question William Eels, a Denver Radio Appliance Company employee, who told of having seen the child high on the slopes of Mount Chapin, six miles west of the spot where little Alfred disappeared last Sunday. But it says that um, that he was there from Denver, and he was... In route, what he told the newspaper reporters that he and his wife had seen the child, and that was early the previous Sunday afternoon. Alfred was last seen at 8 o'clock Sunday morning. This guy who was hiking says that he and his wife had walked way up Fall River Road until they become tired. So they turned around and they looking up at the mountainside and they saw the boy sitting on a rock on the ridge. When they climbed up to a point near the rock, the child had disappeared. The hiker says that he believed that no child could have reached this spot, no adult could have reached this spot without some assistance. So See, I
2: I kind of disagree with that. I feel like a 4-year-old probably could have gotten there himself
0: cuz they didn't even realize what they were right.
2: doing. Right, he's just trying to figure out why he hasn't found his family.
0: Well, the parents had the parents believed that the kid was kidnapped.
2: I think that that's probably true um, yeah, under those Yeah. The parents chances. pushed the theory
0: for a while. The FBI got involved cuz there was a, a national nexus. Now, this is the early early version of the FBI. It's interesting to read about them in the old newspapers, but they had um they had one of their officers at the time, they weren't agents yet, go out to an abandoned cabin in the park, which was near where Alfred was. And they had him retrieve a bandage that had been found there because they thought the bandage was potentially matching. It's, they thought they might have blood on it. And Artie Brown, who was the chief of the FBI field station at the time, he said that they were going to try and figure out if it was blood because Alfred's mom said that he had a blister that morning and that she had put a bandage on it when they started their hike. And they had purchased some rubber sole shoes for him and it had they weren't broken in. So the gist of that was when the FBI gets involved, they're trying to look for that. There's even this whole ransom note hoax that happens a little later on with this particular case. The um, ransom note was for $500. It was sent to the parents about five months after this. It was right before the holidays in 1938. You know, you have to remember, first of all, this case is 82 years old, 11 months and 22 days. That's, that's one part of this. But to your point, the area that this, went, that this kid went missing in, is the Rocky Mountain National Park, located in Grand Larimer and Boulder Counties in Colorado. What is different about those areas is, well, first of all, it's huge. Boulder is, I believe, the, the smallest county that we would be talking about. And Boulder has... <laughs> Boulder has 350,000 people, give or take, by 2020 in 740 square miles, which doesn't sound like much, but Larimer County, also part of the park, has, you know, 2634 square miles and about 350,000 people. That's a lot of people. It in a, is. in addition to that, you have Grand County which has 1870 square miles and only about 15,000 people, 15-16,000. It has a lot of national protected areas in grand county when you think about those miles those counties getting that large you've got a sheriff station and then whatever police stations are involved in those areas to cover that many square miles and like i don't know if people understand like how big their county is but like if you go on you could go usually you could go to just like wikipedia or somewhere and they will tell you How, you know, what the population size is and like how big your county is. I happen to live in a county that's under 500 square miles and I have gotten a really good feel for what it's like to drive all the way around and, you know, to know where all the boundaries are. And I think the population in my county is just over 200,000 people right now. It's like it's pretty easy to not get lost where I live, but it still feels pretty remote. If you were to be, in this area and you've got, you know, almost 2000 square miles and only 15,000 people today. There was nobody there back then, not really. And they would have appropriate police sources to that, which means they don't have much they can do. They pulled in the civilian court to look at this case, um, to look for this kid. And this is one of those, I look at it and I kind of think, is he in the water? Because that's what they were thinking. Or, you know, did he fall? And I don't know if he, I don't know if he would find anything after this length of time. I looked around NamUs, there's, a, there's 10 sets of remains in this area that are unidentified. None of them are even close to being like this kind of kid. There's, a, there's an infant out there and the rest of them are all mostly adults.
2: Like I sort of theorize uh, this kid, it seems like he vanished, but I would just yeah. say he's unfound because he's somewhere and, you know, i it's a very sad case. Um, it's a very old case. And I can only imagine what it must well, have been like for him. Yeah, it must we have, been we have
0: an example from a little more recently, but we're still staying kind of back in time of, of how some cases like this play out. Now, this one is from Ritter, Oregon. This is a little boy named Keith Parkins back on April 10th of 1915. Two-year-old Keith Parkins was playing with his older brothers on a cattle ranch in Ritter, Oregon. While playing near a barn on the property, his older brothers headed back for lunch and left him at the barn. When his mother realized that Keith hadn't returned with his brothers, they headed for the barn to try and find him, and he had vanished without a trace. So this case shows up in Strange Outdoors, and it shows up on Reddit, so you can go look up Keith Parkins, and you can find out a little more about it. Here's the rough timeline of what was happening. Edna, Alan, Keith, and his two older brothers, all Parkins, were visiting Edna's parents in Ritter, Oregon, around Easter time. The property they were visiting was a cattle ranch and the surrounding area would be considered cattle land or pasture. Edna describes the conditions that day as cold and said that it was wet and there were still patches of snow on the ground. Keith and his older brothers had gone to the barn to see a new calf. And when Edna called the boys back to the house for lunch, the two older brothers came back and Keith was not with them. When his brothers were asked, asked what happened, they basically pointed mom back to the barn. So Edna and the brothers, they headed down to the barn to look for Keith. And when they got to the barn, Keith was gone and there was no real evidence for where he might have went to a little kid though, really little
2: kid. Two year old. Yeah.
0: So in the afternoon, that day on April 10th, that when they realized he was gone, a search started within hours. It wasn't organized like modern search and rescue teams are, but the people searching knew the area and they knew what they were doing. So this was a line of people, like they're spread out, like kind of arm to arm within speaking distance and they start looking for this kid. At the peak of the search, it was estimated that there were over 200 people that were out searching in the field for Keith. Search continues into the night and into the next morning. That evening, at some point in the search, around three miles from where Keith was last seen, searchers found footprints that walked through the middle of a herd of cattle. Outside of these tracks, they couldn't see anything else related to Keith's disappearance. But at 7 a.m. on April the eleventh, a searcher found Keith alive in Skull Canyon, twelve miles from where he was last seen, face down in the snow, with his hat and his coat beside him. His body was stiff from the cold and he couldn't move well. He had also been scratched up pretty bad, according to his mother's account of the story. His clothing was also ripped up from possibly trying to climb through barbed wire fencing. He was taken to a nearby hospital by a private plane and eventually made a full recovery. So this kid goes missing at lunchtime, and he's found the following morning around 7 a.m. He moved 12 miles in 19 hours.
2: That doesn't surprise me in the least, because... I don't know if you've never, you know, taken care of small children, like they can go man. they have more energy than anybody on earth. I don't know what was, I feel like he probably, um, so they were visiting grandparents and so he probably just got lost. He was only two. So, you know, if he was unfamiliar with his surroundings, it was, I don't know what the distance was between the barn and the house or what have you, but it wouldn't have taken him very long at all to get going in the wrong direction and they don't think to themselves, well, "Let me turn right. around now," right? <laughs> they just keep going. And it's kind of pitiful actually because um, you know, if they if they were just a smidge older, they in this type of situation, they might be able to orient themselves and get back. They if they start panicking, they go faster. Like they, you know, they could take a little nap and get back up and keep going. And, you know, you could only hope that they'd be going in circles as opposed to like leading straight away because that's what he clearly did. I mean, he went straight away. Um, And this is exactly what I feel like the end of all the kids that have vanished. This is exactly what I think that their story would be like if they had been found just like a, a phenomenal amount of, uh, space away. So a distance that it's just unfathomable that they got that far, you know, and exhausted and, you know, torn up from their travels a lot of time. And this isn't to say anything bad about the search efforts. I feel like the search efforts are genuine, but I feel like they severely underestimate what's happening like in this case you know he did go 12 miles away
0: yeah he definitely made it like depending on on how how you look at it it's between 10 and 12 miles between where he was found and the barn and the house that that he would have originated at and there is some space between the barn and the house it's not uh it's not like a backyard barn it's a full-on cattle barn um if you if you look at that area the way it's described sort of uh, geolocation wise it, it, there's some distance there it's a, it's a huge cattle farm in there in Ritter. uh i don't like i don't think it exists in its original form but you can you can look at a couple of these uh, accounts of it and they will tell you like this is where the barn was this is where the house was and people have estimated that he had to have traveled between i think the minimum was 8 miles and the maximum was 12 miles what was interesting was with his clothing being ripped and his, his face being scratched they assumed that he got caught in a fence somewhere. That's what law enforcement suspected. But when they interviewed him, he, according to a couple of these sources, he mentioned that a cat scratched. And people were wondering if he got into it with a, uh, like a bobcat or a cougar who like snatched them up and ran off with them, but wasn't able to hold on to it. And, you know, that's interesting to me because I've been, I, I've been working on a case <laughs> with a big cat recently. The, yeah. What I've been doing with the... Uh, I, I've become obsessed with them. I know you get into bears. I get into these weird-ass cats, not just like the the natural kind where you've got a bobcat or a cougar or a panther or whatever, but also like where people have brought them in from other places and they're not supposed to be here, particularly like ocelots and bangle cats and, and like smaller cats. I wondered about that because that would account for some of the travel, either running away from a thing, which... He's not going to outrun like any of the big cats, but he could outrun something smaller from the perspective of it wouldn't know what to do with him when it caught
2: him. Do you think that um, the scratches from a cat attack could have been um, mistaken for uh, barbed wire fence scratches?
0: Yeah, they could see. So I think people get this image of cats being large but i was really shocked like the so i I saw some video footage i saw several pieces of video footage this year where it was like one of the clips i saw was like a dude in his driveway and this he literally walks up on like he and his wife are leaving the house and he walks up on a bobcat attacking his wife. And he has no idea what the fuck is going on. And he just <laughs> grabs the bobcat. And he's, like, holding it up in the air. And he's, like, no. Oh, and he, like, throws it away. Um, yeah. It's and, really small. And the other footage I saw was more at night. But it was even smaller than that footage. And so if I had to, like, hold my hands up to show people what I'm talking about. these These animals are quick. But... In in the instance where they're in the driveway during the day, this is like the size of an extra large house cat.
2: Right, like you would actually have to do a double take, or it would have to attack for you to realize it's right. Not you have to see its claws and its
0: teeth. So those cats, right. um, and and that's different than like the people that have like a mountain lion chasing them through a park because I've seen those videos too. That's not what I'm talking about. These are these are little like link sized cats where until you see the flash of their fangs, you don't actually realize what you're dealing with. The one that I saw at night was a, it was a, it was not a native American um, cat. It was like a pet. And the pet had been like taken away from an owner who didn't have a license to own the pet or or whatever, uh, or the means to own the pet maybe. And the pet had become a rescued animal at like an endangered cat place. And that cat, had gotten out of the enclosure because it was so small and like lanky. Those videos where you see those cats like that make me think, yeah, like this kid absolutely could have run into one of them. And the wounds on them vary. It depends on how long the cat gets at you. Absolutely a cat getting you or like trying to pounce you down, but like say it was in the middle of the herd of cattle that they described where they're falling the footprints into the cattle and the kid had been there. And the cat had come in there, that might have saved him. But yeah, like getting caught up bad in the barbed wire fence could look like a cat swipe. Um, It definitely, like, my only caution there is that cats don't tend to let go of their prey.
2: That's what I think, too. And I don't know. You're right. Actually, I hadn't thought about, um, you know, maybe the cows had some sort of effect on that. But to me, um, the interaction that would have occurred between him and a, a cat that could possibly pick him up and drag him or whatever, I don't think uh, the uh, distance covered, it doesn't make a difference in like, it's not like they're going to have taken him like 10 miles no, or something. I, no, I,
0: I don't think. I don't think that's how we would end up there. So he could have been.
2: Is he considered to be um like, is, is there a theory that like, there's no. Yeah. So here's
0: where this all falls and what we're doing here. A lot of the cases that we're covering, he's sort of the exception to the cases that we're covering for.
2: Because he was found.
0: Because he was found. But I wanted to, like, I, I put him in there and I sort of asked you like, Hey, could we look at this? Because. Unusual things do happen. I I have spent a lot of time going through, like one of the theories is like missing four one one type theories, which is like basically space portals, berries, and Bigfoot type stuff. I I look for cases that are attached to serial killers and attached like this type of thing, where it happens on this farm in the fifties is not. Somebody didn't pick this kid up and take them somewhere. They wandered there. It just seems weird. And I think it's the way people told the story. Of the distances and the time and...
2: Right. And it could also be people's perceptions. And so I think it just, you know, we've talked about narratives at length. And so I think the narratives are spun essentially. And I don't think it's meant to be anything except just trying to convey what happened. But, you know, people have opinions about it. I think that any two-year-old could go twice the distance that kid went in the amount of time, what, 18 hours or so?
0: Yeah. Yeah, especially lost scared and cold.
2: Uh you would I wouldn't uh for a second uh, question that. I just don't feel like there's anything bizarre about what happened, except, you know, he did get lost and he did wander off, but I don't feel like anything else was involved in that. Um, It is possible he encountered an animal or something, but it didn't kill him. He did survive and he was found.
0: Yeah, and that's, so that's what makes him different than most of the cases that we're going to cover. And also, I think there's something to be said for these resolved cases, because clearly that's a resolution he's found. The questions are different than the unresolved cases because when you can see two things and you're just trying to connect the dots, it's very different than theorizing where did this child go and never having an answer to that question.
2: Right. And this, I think, illustrates what the answer is. Yeah.
0: This is what happens in a lot of these cases. There's There are cases in um, in Colorado as well that I think are very similar to this, but where the kids aren't found. And they'll start coming up. I am thinking specifically of something you used to say, and that is we would get deep into these missing persons cases and trying to figure out like what potentially could have happened happen to them and it, you know with adults on dry land leaving their home there's like a lot of different things that can happen but with kids one of the things you used to always say is where is that bright yellow umbrella where is that poncho that kid was wearing and i think we'll see as we go along that that those are the types of of things that if you can answer those questions, you could probably find those kids. And there's a particular case that I'm thinking of that I'm pretty sure was a bobcat attack from a really long time ago. Um, It'll come up as, as we, you know, move a little further along. This case that we just talked about is a case in the 1950s. You have to also remember technology has changed, search and rescue techniques have changed. And I can't help but wonder how did they find this kid in 1952? But there's so many kids today that they don't fine
2: i'll tell you how it was persistence
0: yeah it was persistence it's people not giving up and and sort of hunting
2: the way that um you described how they did it which was i'm sure people would uh you know they would look down on it because they literally went within speaking distance of each other and they just walked it like step by step and you know i don't know that that happens uh now in searches and i really do think that sometimes that's what it takes um, and they just didn't give up. And I think that that's, that's what is really important here is, and that's how they found him. They didn't say, oh, he couldn't have gotten this far and stop, right? They just kept going.
0: Yeah, I've seen the, those shoulder-to-shoulder type searches done in some cases. It really depends on the manpower that you have available and the type of terrain that you're up against. That, that's really, really the the difference in things. I, I do want to mention one case before we move on here, um, because we're so the case that we're talking about where he's found in Oregon to orient you in time is 1952. This is literally April of 1952. This case I'm just going to mention in passing because it's another child that went camping in June of 1959. Daniel Barter went missing, he went missing from the banks of Perdido Bay in Alabama. He had gone camping with his parents, his siblings, and his other relatives and Daniel reportedly disappeared from the campsite while his parents were preparing the fishing equipment. Daniel didn't like the water, so they did not believe that he would have gone into the bay voluntarily. An extensive search for Daniel took place within minutes, and he has never been seen or heard from again. One of the most interesting parts of Daniel, his case, is that to this day, he still has an active FBI special agent assigned to his case in Mobile, Alabama, in Baldwin County. And that struck me because that's a very old case to be 1959. Um, So Daniel was born uh, December 12, 1954. At the time of his disappearance in June of 1959, he would have been four and a half years old. He was three feet tall at the time of his 50 pounds. He is white male and he has brown hair and brown eyes. And he's a little kid. He's on the FBI's website under their uh, Kidnappings and Missing Persons case out of Baldwin County, Alabama. He was interesting. Comes up in our main feed in True Crime XS. And we will talk about him more there because he's connected to some information found with the serial killer that couldn't possibly have had anything to do with him. He's just there. And I've always wondered what happened to Daniel. You know what, what, man, you're going to hate it when I say this. I think he's in the camping bathrooms. I think he's in a hole in the ground nearby. It's either that or like, like these kids that go missing while camping, I picture them like curling up uh, on a, on a rock ledge or in a hollow of a tree or just right outside of the campsite somewhere. His case is more difficult than most of them because people were searching for him from the, the local parks in that area. Within minutes, like it's like a huge surge.
2: And he was with, he was out of calling range in minutes. That's, that makes me think he was kidnapped. Yeah. I mean, just that particular thing, like if you are, you can't hear people calling you and you, you know, did, I assume they didn't hear him calling back. It's weird because it, how do you get that far that quickly?
0: Well, so, You're right.
2: Or he did fall in the water and drown um, because they said he didn't like the water. That doesn't mean he didn't end up there by accident.
0: Well, I agree with you. And in 2009, this case was actually assigned to a task force in that area and multiple agents were briefly assigned. The reason was the FBI said they had a tip. The tip that they had was that someone had overheard one Criminal talking to another criminal about having abducted a child. Now, currently, this is assigned to FBI Special Agent Laura Field out of Mobile, Alabama. But back in 2009, Special Agent Angela Tobin was assigned to the case. And FBI spokeswoman Joyce Riggs started responding to media inquiries and sending out press releases um, about this case. And you can actually read some of those. So, Paul and Maxine Barter were Daniel's parents. Danny was the third youngest. And he was, like, described as a sweet child. They did a lot of that stuff where they, like, talk very positively about him. One of his brothers, Mike, has gone on a record as saying that, that they all just feel like he's alive. They return every year to the scene of his presumed abduction. And the tip that came in, like, to give you guys an, an idea of what happened here, when I say that people were right there, it, this was unusual Because they knew this, like the family knew this area. They'd they'd gone to the store and they did like a drink run. And I think Danny went with his dad to do that. They had their tents up. They had uh, fishing poles being prepared. They were tying lines and getting bait together. And someone just noticed that Danny was gone. And their worry was that he had wandered over to the water. So that's where they started. Now, uh, I've read that Maxine Barter told the local paper at the time that she believed that he had been abducted. Because the search had hundreds of people there within hours, but within minutes, there were people searching the water. There were hundreds of people who combed the land that night around where they were. Um, they had they had brought bloodhounds out, were able to give him a scent and they were dispatched immediately. These people were killing uh, alligators and cutting them open to check and see if there's any trace of him. The, the bottom line is the police and the parents, they, they're pretty sure that he was taken by someone who would be a, a person, a human predator, not an animal, not by misadventure, and they've had tips come in over the years about that. I, you know, there's an age progress picture of Danny on the FBI's website. I have no idea if getting the tip that someone was overheard talking about the abduction is is real or not. I've never seen anything that came of it, but this is a case that the FBI has kept very uh, close to their chest. And every once in a while, they'll let a little dribble of information come out about it.
2: So I don't understand why um, the FBI would be holding a 62-year-old case close to their chest. Um, it's weird. But also, so this is what I think about. And this is not to disrespect anybody involved, but if it makes me wonder if like he wasn't actually missing a little longer than what they thought. Yeah, I've wondered if they Because that's another way he could have gotten like out of uh range to hear his name yell that quickly that's the yeah, only other thing I could think like of. i
0: said i think they fairly covered everything this is all always like one of those things where i'm like please tell me they checked like the weird spots nearby um
2: do you think he fell in the toilet or jumped in
0: i i know you make fun of me on like the whole toilet thing but like that's a really that is a th-
2: I don't make fun of you. That was a legitimate question. Did he die then? Did someone put him in?
0: I he shows up. This guy shows up on Israel Keys. Computer. I understand that. Okay, he's in, it, for some reason Israel Keys had looked at that boy goes missing while camping, and these these recent articles, like the 2009 and 2010 articles I was talking about there, they show up and he looks at it, and I was wondering if he was thinking, oh, maybe you know. I wonder if anybody ever looks in those places. How can I search for that? But the truth is, like I thought, he went to the. That's that's like the only time my kids were my kid was quiet was when they were in the bathroom. So you know, that's like five minutes, ten minutes. You might not know what your kid is doing. And in in my thinking, a kid going into it wouldn't be the case in in this instance. But a camper, a trailer, a uh, outhouse, a pit latrine, uh, like cover or shelter, like that's a moment like they could legitimately fall in. And depending on the type of pit latrine, some of them are full of water. Some toilets are more full of water. Some tanks underneath campers are more full of like water. So yeah, I think that that sometimes that's where kids go. I genuinely have run into search and rescue people who look at me like I'm crazy and say they would never check things.
2: Well, and I just want to clarify like do you think that he fell in or that he was I don't know. In? I
0: mean, like it could go either way. I've seen it where like kids beat up on kids and that is like think about it like a kid throwing another kid into a locker.
2: Yeah, I don't think they were a captive. Maybe not.
0: I mean, that's the other thing. Maybe not. I I think that I think it would unravel if like a kid threw another kid into a pit latrine, their brother or whatever. But I you know, I do think accidents happen and I don't want to be that guy who ends up like always talking about toilets. It just comes up on the camping cases. You
2: uh, already well, are, my friend. So
0: moving on from Daniel's case, <laughs> we have two more cases to cover. Sorry, so I, you know I don't want to. You're gonna have to edit out all my no, toilet I'm, talk. I'm sorry. So,
2: so no, I'm leaving it in. Daniel's case is 1959,
0: it's down in Alabama. The next case that we're talking about today is Curt Newton, and Curt Newton was last seen at the remote Natness. Uh, is that how you say Nateness,
2: this? yeah, Point Campground.
0: So that's up in Chain of Ponds, Maine. This is six miles from the Canadian border. This was September 1st, 1975. He was camping with his parents, his older sister, and three other families who were all from the same town of Manchester, Maine. And this is the part that sticks out to me. So Kurt was riding his big wheel tricycle. Do you remember those things? I do. And he, So he's near the family's campsite, and he disappeared between 10 and 10.30 a.m. He's never been found. He's never been heard from again. But that same morning, his tricycle was found at a trash dump site a little less than a mile from his family's campsite. Kurt's family stated he was very shy at the time of his disappearance. He didn't like being separated from his mother, not even for a few minutes. He has no history of wandering away without permission. And his parents don't believe that he would have gone into the woods alone. Okay. So, just from that description of what I just said, how old do you think Kurt is? Uh,
2: three.
0: He's four. He's four years old.
2: Okay, four. Okay. So,
0: uh, he was three feet eight inches tall, 45 pounds. He was four years old. He was last seen with a navy blue jacket with baseballs on it, a navy blue sweatshirt, a red jersey, red and black speckled corduroy pants, mismatched white socks, and dark brown high top tennis shoes. He's a Caucasian male. His blonde hair and blue eyes.
2: How tall was he?
0: Three feet eight. He's little.
2: Three inches, huh? There was a caretaker at the campground, and the account of him chasing after his father, uh, his tricycle, that came from the caretaker's daughter. She saw him. Do you know this part of the story? No, go ahead. Okay, um, and Sarah, she's uh, I don't, I don't know how old she was. She was a teenager though and and she actually said to him, according to the uh information I found, she said, "Hey, you know, do your parents know where you're at?" Because it startled her that he was uh on his tricycle going after his dad, who was in a truck. Okay, so his father was driving off to get firewood, and he uh, I don't know if he was doing it like to race his father or what, but. And so the way that his tricycle ended up on the dump site was the teenage girl who uh, last saw Kurt, um, her father, who was the caretaker, saw the tricycle on the side of the road and thought, because of the way he saw it, thought it was, uh, had been discarded. And so he put it on the dump site.
0: So they, they did figure out why it went to the dump site then.
2: Right. And, and it was completely innocent, uh, but he was the caretaker of the grounds, So it would be his job to make sure Trash made it all the way to the dump. And it was close. And so it, what I inferred from what I was reading was that he thought somebody had actually tried to get it to the dump. They just didn't quite get there. Okay. What does that tell you?
0: What, you think somebody hit him with a car?
2: There's no question to me.
0: Well, so this is, uh, this is an, there's an extensive search for this kid in the surrounding woods that ends up involving the National Guard and the military, and there are multiple helicopters.
2: They, they let it go really far. It goes really um,
0: far. It goes really long.
2: Well, what I mean is, like, if somebody uh, hit him, and took his body somewhere. Now there's a lot of circumstances that could occur here. It could have been they didn't realize they hit him. It could have been that they hit him and panicked, but like they let the search go really far for an accident, I think.
0: Yeah, this was the biggest search in Maine history until I think 2010 or 2011. They turned up no sign of Kurt. The police thought that he just became confused while chasing after his dad and He was trying to get back to the campsite and he went the wrong direction.
2: Why would he have gotten off his tricycle?
0: I have no idea. He wouldn't have. That that was the theory. The night after his disappearance, temperatures in the area dropped below freezing.
2: So he would have died at that point. He would have died in the elements there.
0: So Kurt's parents speculated that someone had abducted him and taken him across the Canadian border into Quebec. Uh, French-language missing persons were distributed in Quebec. Like with the idea that maybe somebody would see him there. There's no results from that. And years have passed. Uh, his parents have mailed posters with his picture to every school district in the United States. Uh, there were a lot of sightings, reported sightings. None of them were ever substantiated, and Kurt has never been found. He is presumed to have been abducted. His case remains unsolved. So I'll wrap up with Kurt by saying that there's a strong possibility that someone knows where Kurt is because there was an accident the day that Kurt disappeared and that person could potentially wrap this cold case up. Cause Maine state police consider this to be a cold case of a missing person. And if, if a letter were to be sent where his remains could be located, it, it would close out a case for them. And I think that would be, that would be a really heartfelt and kind thing to do. And I actually think if you do things like that, I think that the forgiveness that comes with it goes a really, really long way. Even if you do it anonymously, your soul will feel a little better. And the last case that we're covering today of missing kids and you know camping world for now is the R. Kuntz Jr. You wanna to- his
2: case is really recent. Um and it's the subject of speculation and uh actually uh it's Subject to true crime uh, television. Uh, So Dior Dior Koontz Jr. He was uh, last seen July 10th, 2015. And uh, he was in Limhi County, Idaho. He was carrying a couple of toy cars and wearing a camouflage jacket, pajama pants, and cowboy boots that were a size too big for him. He was with his parents. Jessica Mitchell and Vernal Dior Kuntz Sr., the great-grandfather, which is um, his mother's grandfather, Robert Walton, and a friend of Walton's named Isaac Reinwand. The group was camping at Timber Creek Campground in a remote mountainous area about 10 miles west of Leodore, Idaho. And the story goes like this. At 2.35 p.m., Dior's mother... Jessica Mitchell called 911 and said that her son had disappeared. And according to her, she had left Dior with her grandfather. She and her and Dior's father, Dior Sr., had gone to explore the campground, and when they returned 10 to 15 minutes later, the child was gone. They looked for him for about 20 minutes before calling 911. According to his mother, Dior never went anywhere without his blanket, his cup, or his toy monkey, and all of those items were at the campground. Uh, there was an extensive search of the immediate area, and it turned up no indication of what had possibly happened to him. Dior. so Dior's parents immediately speculated that he had been abducted. The the parents have been named as suspects in their son's disappearance.
0: Yeah. Dior was two years old. He was he was three feet tall, weighed twenty-eight pounds. He was white, he had blonde hair, uh he had brown eyes.
2: His parents were engaged at the time of his disappearance, but um their relationship ended shortly after Dior's disappearance they didn't end up getting married. Neither of them has an arrest record or any criminal history to speak of. Investigators said that there were inconsistencies in the parents' stories and that they had both failed polygraph exams. The investigators believe Dior was killed either intentionally or by accident and his parents know where his body is. Dior's parents, like I said, they had split up after his disappearance and they were evicted from their apartment for non-payment. The landlord allowed investigators to search the property uh, once they had been evicted, and they discovered the camouflage jacket and several of the toys that Dior's parents described he was last seen with. I, That's not a great sign. It doesn't look great for the parents, but I just want to um, uh, keep in mind that sometimes at least for me, when my child was little, if he had something he really loved, we would have multiples of them. And like the camouflage jacket, if it was something I really liked, I would sometimes get it in uh, a couple of sizes in sequence. You you know what I mean? Yeah, oh, yeah. And so uh, it doesn't look great, but that didn't completely... Um, I, I could understand how that could actually be innocuous and it be um, taken the wrong way. According to the sheriff, there is no credible witness to say for certain that Dior was ever even at the campground. And uh, the sheriff, I believe, uh, he's speculated it's possible he was never there. Yeah. So Dior Kuntz's case remains unsolved and foul play is suspected.
0: Where Dior's case gets super interesting for me personally, there's a number of circumstances here that. I thought were, were just bizarre. First of all, there's a North Carolina private investigator that gets involved in this. This is an Idaho case. Um, his name is David Mashburn. Now, he gave information to the sheriff that there were cadaver dog hits in the campsite where they had been. That's one interesting factor. The other one is, there was a family friend out of Montpelier, uh, Idaho, named Frank Phil. And Frank Viltz, a P.I., he in August, he decided that he this case. But about a month later, he withdrew. And he sent this is this is part of a letter that he sent from his office at the Idaho Investigative Service over to the family. Um so the family is Dior Kuntz, that's dad, his first name is Vernal, um, and Jessica Mitchell. And The letter says, Dear Dior and Jessica, as I previously informed you today via text to your cellular phone at 8.31 a.m., I'm withdrawing from the investigation because of circumstances beyond my control, including but not limited to a breach of trust on your part concerning your refusal to allow me to make this case national. I am perplexed as to why you did not want me to advertise a $20,000 reward. I was willing to put up personal funds in the hopes that the public could provide information leading to the whereabouts of your son. When I agreed to assist you, I informed you that I would work for my out-of-pocket expenses. I was willing to forego my normal hourly fee. My stipulation was that both of you would be absolutely truthful. I told both of you that if I felt that you were not telling the truth, stalling me, or otherwise misleading me, that I would withdraw from the investigation. In my professional opinion, both of you lied and misrepresented the facts that could solve the mystery of your missing son. There are other aspects of this case that I cannot go into at this time, but simply put, I believe that the searches will all be non productive. The searches are being used by you to cover a possible crime that one or both of you may have committed. My suggestion is that you fully cooperate with the Lehigh County Sheriff and tell the truth. I do not appreciate the fact that one or both of you are spreading rumors that you have paid me. I have not received reimbursement to cover my expenses. I also feel that you're exploiting, at this point, you are exploiting the public for financial gain. How can you live with yourselves? Sooner or later, the truth will come out. And this is a family friend talking about this case. So, you know, where did they put him? I don't know, but this is another one. This is another case where if you would own up to it, I think that you'll find the circumstances are a lot more freeing than the torture keeping that secret.
2: Um, I, I couldn't understand why grandpa would have went along with it but I also am not entirely sure that he realized he was going along with anything.
0: Yeah. I, you know, so I, I've read an interview with grandma. She looks tortured to me in how she answers the questions that are being asked about this. She is trying so hard, to find some way, some resolution to all of this. And I definitely think whatever she and her husband knew, I think it's probably in line with what Frank built is, is is leaning towards there. I'm not saying they're involved. You know, they hired another guy. They they hired this guy Philip Klein. Um basically they kept hiring PIs from the perspective of uh and, and also lawyers within 6 months of the disappearance they were hiring lawyers. W- when they do that, I think it's a reason to keep the GoFundMes rolling. I don't know if they were called Go, GoFundMe in 2015, but you know what I mean like the public like uh donations and, and whatever. There were multiple searches that went on there um, and I think Frank Vilt knew. I think he knew right away that there it, it was something seriously wrong. Now they, when they searched their home and found the items that were... Um, the jacket. The jacket specifically and I think the pajama pants, right? But uh, no, well, I know the camouflage I, jacket
2: th- So in. they found the camouflage jacket that he was supposedly wearing beard, and then it's uh, so a couple of toys or something. I, I'm not entirely sure.
0: Well, they so the family ends up suing one of the private investigators and it gets settled. And, you know, it's going through all the typical motions of getting age progressed photographs. I will say that the Lehigh County sheriff has since changed. So it was Lynn Bowerman when the case started. And then it, a new sheriff, new sheriff came to town. Uh, Steve Penner is now the sheriff of Lehigh County, but Len Bowerman flat out said the case is a homicide. So whether he thinks it's an accident or one of them killing him or the kid overdosing or, or something like that, I don't know. In general, this child is gone.
2: Well, there's no question.
0: They did find bones there. The they had the cadaver dog hits, but none of those things ever led to the location of Dior. And that's the that's thing. because he
2: wasn't he, he's not there. His, yeah, his...
0: That, it's a big well, mystery. And,
2: right, and because so because he went. Uh, he disappeared from there, according to the parent's story. There's no telling where whatever happened actually happened. It was, I feel like all that was just a setup. It's really bad. And I'd like to think it, whatever did happen was just an accident, but we won't know that for sure. The private investigator saying like none of the searches are going to be fruitful, it's they're pointless, is because they have no idea where to look. they oh, absolutely. That they're,
0: because the parents are hiding everything.
2: Wherever it actually happened, uh, the, you know, they would have no way of knowing um, where to even begin because they have said that he wandered off while they were camping and he's not there and they know that he's not there.
0: So, all right, to wrap this up, what do you think they did if you were speculating, like, and and this is I a generic I have no idea. Case.
2: Honestly, um, I think his death might have been uh, accidental, That's and what I think. it could have even been like a hot car death. This was in July, and
0: they just didn't want to be held accountable those for people. it. Yeah,
2: mm-hmm. which well, I hate to tell you, but this isn't better.
0: No, they, what they're about to put themselves through. So, the year before, a little boy named Cooper Harris had died down in Georgia in a hot car death. And it became the focus of national attention for nearly a year. That was June 18th of 2014. It lasted for a year. I would totally believe that this is a similar situation where like Justin Ross Harris essentially got life plus 32 years for the hot car. That's relevant here is that Cooper Harris was plastered all over the national news for a solid year before the went missing. And then they do it too. Even if it's an accident, they're never gonna tell anybody.
2: Oh, I could I could totally buy that.
0: I mean what happens in cases like the, the Cooper Harris case where that little boy died, regardless of whether you agree with what happened, I guess it would have been like 2017 when they convicted the guy, the national news media eviscerates those people. So when I hear about cases like that, every time the next case happens, it gets worse. There's if I were Dior Kuntz and I had hot car death on my hands, or if I were Jessica Mitchell. And I had hot car death on my hands. I could totally understand in that type of environment, not reporting. It's terrible, but she didn't want to go to jail or he didn't want to go to jail or whatever.
2: I don't know for certain. The other thing I would say, if it's not a hot car death, I would say like it was an enraged type accident or like they weren't watching him. Sort of like what they were talking about when they said he disappeared.
0: Yeah. I pictured... I pictured that like, you mean like a, like a smack that ends up killing him? He's He's little,
2: little, but I, I'm just saying, uh, it could have been that. Yeah. I mean, I'm saying like, they didn't go, I'm going to kill my son and do it. But like they were spanking him and they hit him too hard or they hit him and he hit his head on something or uh, something stupid where they just lost their temper or something where like they weren't watching him like they should be. And he ended up dying.
0: Right. So I could see a drug overdose. I could see Shaken Baby or a punch. I can't see him like falling and busting his head and bleeding to death. I don't think it would have been a thing where they backed over him and ran over him with a car. So those things, when you have a missing kid that pops up in a situation where they've been accidentally killed and, and some kind of crime scene exists, typically investigators find the crime scene. Like that one example of the kid up in Maine getting hit by a car, I'm I'm a little surprised they didn't find the crime scene, but he was so little, they might not have known. And I wondered if they like looked at the tricycle and they were like, there's something wrong with it. You
2: and know, it's been so long dead. and there's just not that information there.
0: Yeah, and so with cases where, like my point in doing this and all of this is, I don't like the without a trace side of the world and vanished and gone and all those like, uh podcast and documentary even missing 411 where they're like you know they're just gone i i like things that have some level of conclusion this one was difficult for me i didn't feel like the orcoons had a specific conclusion i just felt like between what all the pis are saying because there's like three or four pis that come through here i don't think he died at the campsite unless they ran over him at the campsite i thought about that because like He's small enough he could get under a tire and not really do much damage to the bumper. I don't route.
2: know where they but, um, where they would have put him though.
0: Yeah, I, I like I think he would have been found. Like a three foot tall kid, like you trip they quadruple pack him and put him in a dumpster and they just don't talk about it for a week while they go camping or whatever. And by the time you get back, nobody's looking in that dumpster because everybody's searching over here at this campsite. That's all. That's all that happens there. And that, that's regardless of what kind of death it is, whether it's a you know, hot car death or like an accidental drug overdose um, or it's like he gets run over by a car or shaken by one of his parents or he falls or whatever. Whatever reason it is, um, that's where it comes from. It's a really sad case. Like, like when I look at it, uh, you, you just see their lives sort of like, as that kid vanished? Their lives together vanished. Gone. I wonder if there's gonna come a point in time where people I I get panicking.
2: Me too. And trying I'm, to cover up but, and not wanting to be responsible for it. And I think it's with age. I don't know how old these um parents are, but I think as you know, 40 somethings, you are more apt to admit your mistakes more freely.
0: Well, you know, i I keep wondering and and it's an ex, that's an excellent question. I don't know how old uh, Dior or um, Jessica are. I saw he had a car accident. And I thought his age was in the car accident. Let's see. Yeah, so he was 26 in 2016. So these are 25-year-olds, give or take.
2: Well, I mean, that's not super young.
0: But... I wonder if there's, like, a, a expiration time-wise. Like, when they hit 40, if one of them did something, are they going to turn around and go, you know what, I need to just come clean?
2: Um, if both of them know, more than likely, it will come out at some point.
0: Yeah. No, keep up with your children, because you don't want to be asking, do you know where your children are?
2: Or answering it. Exactly. Thanks for joining us. This has been... It's 10 o'clock p.m. Do you know where your children are? By True Crime Excess. For more information, please visit truecrimeaccess.com. Check out True Crime Excess on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a missing child's case in your area that you feel needs to be highlighted, or information about a missing child's case that you are uncomfortable providing to law enforcement yourself, We will do it for you. You can reach us at 252-365-5593 or do you know where the kids are at gmail.com. And we'll see you next time on...
0: It's 10 o'clock p.m. Do you know where your children
1: are? justice in this world There's no point in keeping score Some got it bad Some got it worse There's no justice in this world Sometimes your best just ain't enough Some other guys have all the luck So I guess I'm waiting for the last to be first There's no justice in this world Done what I deserve There have been some lessons harder learn learned I bet And as far as I'm concerned The only reason you're my girl Is there's no justice in this world And I will try a curse that there's no justice in this world Well I guess it could be worse If I always got what I deserved There've been some lessons harder The only reason you're my girl Is there's no justice in this world justice in this world